Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek. And today we are going to discuss an article that Mary Lou you found in the National Catholic Register. And it's concerning the new Catholic University of America president, Dr. Peter Kilpatrick. Why don't you tell me what, um, tell us why you thought this was such a cool article. Well, of course, in the title, it says that Peter Kilpatrick discusses his conversion, Catholic identity, and engineering through the lens of faith. Mm -hmm. Right there, the article grabbed me because I'm thinking, who is this person? And, you know, what is his story? And it is so edifying to to read about him and to know that um, Catholic University is being such a such a really important university for those of us that are Catholic that we really need a strong Catholic in charge. And I think that this article spells out his his faith walk and how he's lived his life and and what he has in store for Catholic University. It's really quite, isn't it, quite exciting. Isn't it nice to have actually a, a real Catholic in charge of a Catholic university? <laughs> it is. It is. And you know, he's only the 16th president. So mm-hmm. there haven't been a lot of them. So uh, this, is, this is exciting. And, and, um, and I think we're going to hear more from him in time. Well, so. and the guy he's replacing, John Garvey, used to teach at the law school here at University of Kentucky. And... Um, I've met him a couple of times and he's a faithful Catholic guy. And I think he's been trying to do the best he could. And I think it's probably good for he, him that he feels like he can finally retire. Hopefully he's whipped that place into shape. I like, um, I like Dr. Kilpatrick's ideas just because uh, he kind of articulates what we all feel about uh, the supposed dichotomy between science and faith, which actually doesn't really exist, right? I right. like also how he his story is the story of many of our perhaps children or uh, friends or siblings, you know, who marry a non-Catholic, right? So he actually was a non-Catholic. He was Methodist. His wife wanted wanted to get married in the church, but thankfully, t- there were two courageous priests who actually told him, said, you know, that's great. You want to get married in the church, but you need to agree that you will raise your children Catholic. And he gave the usual, you know, oh, well, they have to decide for themselves, which is basically consigning your children to the opinions of the world without the bolstering of the sacrament of confirmation and baptism, baptism and confirmation and Eucharist, right? It's basically allowing your your kids to evangelize, the to be evangelized by the world <laughs> as opposed to be evangelized by the church, right? There's a reason why... Um, there's infant baptism. It's that children are baptized within the faith of a of a community that will help them and support them as they mature and they eventually own their faith, right? Because we're not saying that we can have faith on behalf of our children. We only do that when they're newborns and children before the age of reason. But then after that, everybody has to own their own faith, right, Mary Lou? That's you have to own your own faith is right. But you know you have to have them prepared for that, and you know baptism does that. That really? grace will never go away. Mm-hmm. So it's something that um, would be very difficult for me. I married a Catholic. Um, I don't know what those challenges would have been if I had not married a Catholic with deciding on how the children were going to be raised in that level of, 
of faith within that family unit. I, I, I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm, I wouldn't, I don't know anything else. Great, Mary Lou. So, um, it is important, I think, to, um, to, um, to be able to understand that when you want to raise your children in the faith or when you want to uh, get your children baptized or you want to get married in the church, it's, there's actually a prerequisite for actually agreeing, right, to do that. Right, Mary Lou? Right. And in the article, in the article. Yes. yes. So good. What, what did it say in the article? It says that he was not even a practicing Christian when mm -hmm. he met his wife and she said she, being a cradle Catholic, wanted to be married in the church. So he goes on to say that he went to see the priest and he said, my, my name is Peter Kilpatrick. My wife to be Nancy is a parishioner here. We'd like to get married here in the church. And the priest says, great, I need you to sign this form that says you promised to raise your children Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Isn't uh, that funny? Yeah. And there's a, such a, there's such a way which we could just misinterpret that kind of thing saying, ah, well, you see, you want to stop us from getting married in the church. But I mean, you know, Getting a man in the church is not getting married in a social club. Getting married in the church is a serious thing in which you commit yourself and your future children to being Catholic. Isn't that funny? It's like it some people like to church shop because they have like they want to be married in a beautiful church, but then they don't want to follow, you know, what makes for a beautiful life, you know, afterwards, which is uh, belonging to uh, the church that Jesus founded. I thought that was good. And then when they had children, they also went to a church and the priest said, what, what did he say? He said, I don't, I, I don't recognize you. I don't, I haven't seen you attend mass or your parishioners here. And then what did he say? I can't baptize your kid. Yeah. Unless, unless and I can't baptize a child of non-practicing Catholics. That is the way to, to say it. Non-practicing right. Catholics. If you want baptism, if you want your children here, you have to practice your faith too. Mm -hmm. Amen. So after that, he had a conversion experience and he has basically unwavered for 41 years. I thought that was pretty cool. As he says, I've never had a crisis of faith. I attribute that to the Holy Spirit, which, yeah, <laughs> you know, without the Holy Spirit, we'd all be toast, right? Right. But you know what was interesting when he started going to mass at this time that he, they wanted their child to be baptized, the very first mass, the priest gave a really moving homily on the sanctity of life. But doesn't that just, you think that was a coincidence? You know, mm -hmm. here they had this newborn, they want to get the baby baptized. And here this priest gives this wonderful homily that really changed this man's life. And he started going through RCIA and obviously converted. Yeah, so that's cool. And he he uh, then taught RCIA and, you know, he basically got into it. You know, he did like what we all did, which is research your faith, follow the things that intrigue you, inform yourself. And the more you, you find out that you know, the more you understand you actually don't know. Right. So I think that was pretty cool. The next thing he thought that I thought was excellent was the role of the faith in the life of an excellent lay person in society. Basically, what is your, uh, what is your calling? What is your vocation? This guy's a chemical engineer. And I like how he, he says he sees his vocation as a way to make society better. You know, I view chemical engineering as a natural part of God's gifts to help us make life better for other people. 
you know. And as such, you become excellent in your field. And then um, you become attractive to others who maybe want to learn about your field. And they, they become open to hearing about the faith from you because the faith is always, of course, part and parcel, right, of, of the way that we, we live in the world, right? Exactly. Exactly. There shouldn't be any difference in that. That's right. So, um, yeah. So then he, he refers to the grave danger of many universities, if not most of them, of devolving into multiversities because the disciplines are becoming so disconnected from each other that people who study those disciplines don't understand the grander context of knowledge and how it relates to society. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. So and we're dealing with, with the, the multi-truths that these people find in universities, that there's not an absolute truth, just these multi-truths, my truth. Well, and also we're, t- we're turning out highly specialized technicians who know their field really well, but then they don't know the context of the greater context of human learning and what makes for human flourishing and you know, what makes for going to a Catholic university. I mean, why would you go to a Catholic university? Just like, why would you go to a Catholic high school? You go to a Catholic high school, university, middle school, grade school, because you want the disciplines and the excellence and the, all that stuff and the, and the sports and all that. But you also want it all put in the context, the greater context of living our faith out loud. And then he, he, uh, and then he says the special role of a Catholic university is to reintegrate all the disciplines so that the students who go to university understand when they study various disciplines that there's a grander context. And that the, ner- the, the whatever they're doing makes sense only in the light of God's plan for our lives. That's huge, right? Because we know people who have gone to Catholic University and promptly lost their faith because exactly. it was just treated as another discipline. It was just treated as, you know, religion class like you would do in high school, you know? And it's, it's that- learning and not living it. Exactly. Or maybe even not learning it because how can yeah. you learn the truth and not be affected by it, right? That's true. And then, you know, he talks about the role of the first universities. I mean, you know, universities didn't emerge from a vacuum. They were invented by the Catholic Church, just like hospitals and orphanages were invited by the, were invited by the Catholic Church. Um, I'm sorry, invented. University of Paris, University of Bologna were the first ones. And then the, the idea of the whole curriculum of the liberal arts, the trivium and the quadrivium, the three uh, sine qua non subjects, and then the four sine qua non subjects. I think the whole idea is to integrate faith and reason, because faith and reason are not juxtaposed to one another, but they complement one another. And how he also says, and that's always been a pet peeve of mine, how people tell you, well, your faith is private. Keep it to yourself, right? Don't try to impose your faith on me. Don't try to impose your morals on me. Not that we would be imposing anything, because if any, the church always proposes, she never imposes. And so we do the same, right? With the with our with the example of our lives, with whatever, right? So the idea is that when people tell you that your faith is a private thing, not a public thing, you need to say, no, absolutely not. You know, my faith is an integral part of my person. You know, the Catholic, the Catholic Church of Christianity are not just clubs that we belong to or hobbies. You know, it's the way that we will change the world, right? It will be the way in which the people around us will be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's pretty important. 
if you have faith, you have to live it. It's not something that you can disconnect during the day when you're working. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sadly, people think that because they don't, may not have any faith, that it's easy to do that or, or they feel, um, intimidated by those of us that, that live our lives like that, which is very sad. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just an opportunity for conversion with those people. But it's very difficult in these days and times to claim that you're Catholic or claim that you, um, you know, want to live out your faith. That's right. And I think, and I wish him all good luck in this. Like he's, he's trying to, he's saying, I want to help our faculty here at Catholic University understand the world of ideas that relates to how you integrate faith and science. People think that somehow science and religion are in opposition to each other, which is silly. They're actually very complementary. And in fact, existentially, you can say that without God and without religious faith, there is no science because God is the architect of everything. How amazing is that, right? So I think that's that's pretty good. I like also how uh, John Garvey, President Garvey, the outgoing president of Catholic University of America, is... Um, is teaching a first-year seminar to students on virtue. Isn't that cool? I think that was such a great idea. And how he wants to, the new president wants to pick up on that as well. And, and he, he says in here that, that, that integrating faith and reason, why he's, he really wants to do that is because people have lost a sense of sacred in their lives. Mm -hmm. And don't you think that's especially true now when, when we've gone through this time of pandemic when we've been separated from the church and from each other. And in so many ways, our, our lives have been disconnected that um, we need to run back to the liturgy and public expressions of faith. Mm -hmm. You know how important that is on the university campuses, especially because they've all been isolated. I, you know, I have a grandson in college and he literally was never in a classroom. He was mm -hmm. in his room studying. Yeah. You know, via Zoom. So that integration, that community is so important. I think that he, he wants to recapture that on the university or or I should say, you know, make it um, uh, more, more vibrating. Yeah. yeah, more important. So the final piece, which I thought was pretty cool, was the his pro-life activities. Like he is apparently quite engaged in the pro-life movement, which, of course, um, it, depending on who you read or what kind of. Uh, news outlets you um, listen to is also called the anti-choice movement or the anti-abortion movement. You know how they have to put it in in terms in negative terms, but really to be pro-life uh, is to be anti-death, <laughs> right? Right. So, and and one aspect of being pro-life is being against abortion, being against ch killing children in the womb. But another aspect of being pro-life is supporting mothers who are pregnant in crisis pregnancies, and another aspect of being pro-life is to supporting immigrants uh, when they are taken advantage of in our, in our cities, whether they're here legally or not. And another aspect of uh, being pro-life is, uh, you know, being open to giving people the right, the just wage, you know, for their work. I mean, there are many ways in which we can be pro-life, not so much uh, defining it in terms of anti-abortion because, you know, being pro-life is being pro-God, you know, God made life, right? Exactly. So I think that was pretty cool. I liked that a lot. And I liked the way the fact that this guy is unapologetically pro-life. My wife and I were going to pro-life marches in North Carolina. And then eventually 
He started going to March for Life in Washington. And he's always happy to support the pro-life causes. So, you know, let's let's wish this guy, this new guy at Catholic University of America, all the best. Uh, let's pray for him. Uh, that is such a premier university, you know, that, that we just pray that the people who go there really will get in touch with their faith as well as getting an excellent education. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.